People like to ask me when and how I got started talking about ethical and sustainable fashion. It's definitely been a process for me over the years, and I don't claim to know it all or be perfect by any means. When I really started learning about the ins and outs of the fashion industry and how harmful it is and how we are just contributing to that harm, I knew I had to do something. I knew I had to do the little part that I could because, believe it or not, one person, I know as cliche as it sounds, one person really can make a difference. The ripple effect we have on each other can make a huge impact. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I'm your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, companies, and small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I interview an entrepreneur, a CEO, nonprofit director, community leader, or just an amazing person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their professional career. My goal is to show you that no matter what you do for a living, you can make an impact right where you are. My guest this week is April Auger Perrin, the founder of All Aware, a website dedicated to connecting consumers with the ethical fashion industry. You know that this is a topic I love, and I can talk about it for hours on end. This was such a great chat. Now, on to the episode with April. Hey, April, welcome to the show. Thank you, Molly. So happy to be here. So happy to have you. I've been looking forward to connecting with you for so long because yeah. uh, we connected over, you know, the, the internets and social media a few months ago, and I have just loved following you. And you just, you're just one of those people that exude joy. And so I just really look forward to because I don't, you know, other than what you know on the internet, I don't feel like I, you know, I, I don't know that much about you. So I'm so excited to to learn more. Yes, likewise. So, April, we're going to dive right in, and I want you to get us started with giving us the April 101. So tell us your story. Tell us, you know, all the things that you have done. I know you've, you've worked in PR and fashion and all that kind of stuff, so I want to hear your story of how you got to where you are today. Okay. I'll do, like, April 101 in, like, two minutes or less. Hey, you, you do <laughs> you. I'm excited. <laughs> all right. I, um, yes, I, when I graduated college, my major was in public relations, and um, got a job in the fashion industry right out of college doing PR and um, thought that I was going to pursue that route and worked in fashion for almost a year and realized that I wanted something more. Um, I, I loved fashion. I had a passion for it, but I just wanted to dive into something deeper. At that point, I had traveled quite a bit. I'd been to several developing countries um, and worked um, through college. So I just I wanted to be able to combine my love of fashion and nonprofit work and leadership and philanthropy, all of those things. But at the time, none of that really existed from what I could see. So this was before the days of Tom Shoes, um, whereas now we see a lot of these type of, of companies. But at the time, there wasn't really anything in that field. So I ended up leaving fashion and going to work in the nonprofit industry where I worked for eight plus years um, in various capacities, really enjoyed it. And um, fast forward to a few years ago, I decided to pursue my master's degree in nonprofit studies uh, at the University of Richmond. And I love it. I used to live in Richmond. What a beautiful campus. Oh, 
yes, I know. I loved it. I was, I, I love being in Richmond. It's a great place to be. That is awesome. I totally did not know that you were in Richmond. How did I not know that? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Oh, I love um, it. Okay, we'll get back to that. Sorry, I, di- I digress. I got too excited when I knew, learned that you, you lived in Richmond. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm in, I'm in the heart of the city. So it's, yeah, I love living in Richmond. But uh, so I attended University of Richmond, got my master's in nonprofit studies, and focused my thesis on social entrepreneurship and in particular fashion-related social entrepreneurship, which led me back to where I was right out of college in pursuing this whole idea of fashion, but with a social cause and social mission. So that's where I ended up, um, graduated this past May, and decided to launch All Aware um, this summer in June, which is a platform uh, website to connect basically mostly female consumers to ethical fashion brands. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. Yeah. So that's where we are as of today. I love it. So I want to, well, one, okay, I have to talk about Richmond for a second because, I mean, I lived in Richmond and I loved it for a couple years after college. Um, So where in Richmond, like you don't have to obviously say your address, but like (laughs) what area of Richmond do you live? So my husband and I live in Churchill. Oh, Um, I lived in Churchill. Stop. I lived in Churchill, like right by Chimbrazo Park. Yes, yes. So we're near um, Libby Hill Park. So not. Oh far my from gosh, I love it. That's so fun. Yeah. So well, okay. So when I first moved to Richmond, right when I graduated, um, so this was 2007. I graduated and I actually moved to Richmond to work for when Tim Kaine was governor. Um, I worked yeah. for Governor Kaine, and so I. Um, lived like right by the Seagull Center in downtown. Um, And so I lived in like a little studio apartment there for a hot second. And then I moved to Bird Park and lived in a really nice apartment in Bird Park. It was so nice, in fact, that it was too nice and really expensive. So then I had to move. Um, But it was really nice because it was like a penthouse apartment, like overlooking the little lake in Bird Park. Oh, my gosh, it was so great. Um, Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I had to move. And so then I moved in with because I was then teaching high school and then my a fellow teacher and I got a little, you know, like a row house in Churchill and we had the best neighbors, Har- uh, Hazel and Charles and Hazel and Charles had lived in that house for like pretty much since it was built. So like <laughs> yeah. this, like that, this couple, like, okay, I'm gonna be honest. We didn't live in the best part of Churchill. <laughs> like, right. It was, right. A, it was a little, a little shady. It was a little bit of a shady part of Churchill. Um, like, but like every other house around us had been broken into, but we like Hazel and Charles like loved us so much. And Charles kind of ran the neighborhood. You know what I mean? So like right. nobody was going to mess with our house. Cause like you mess with our house, you mess with Charles. <laughs> right. And don't mess with Charles. Yes. Don't mess with Charles. So I love, so you live in Richmond. Um, what is your favorite? And I, you know, for people listening, if you don't live in Virginia and most of you probably don't, but if you ever make it to Richmond, Virginia, it's just the, it's such a great city. I it love is. living in North Carolina, but honestly, the only place I could imagine moving to, like if I were to leave North Carolina would be back to Richmond because it's just, it's such a great city. It is. You're right. And there's so much that's happening here. I've lived here. I lived in Charlottesville before I moved oh, to Richmond yeah. and because I worked at the University of Virginia. And I uh, decided to move to Richmond, and that was about four years ago. And it has been the best decision. We absolutely love living here. Yes. It's just a community full of, of creative people, yeah. uh, 
passionate people and there's so much that's going on here. So for all the listeners, if you're looking for a place to move, Richmond (laughs) is the place. It's awesome. Or Durham or Durham. You can come to Durham. Durham, But honestly, I think I I like Durham so much because it honestly, it it reminds me a lot of Richmond. I think they've got very similar cultures, like very similar food, um, you know, food culture. You've got a very art culture. And I think Richmond too has like that great mix of being the South while also having like a very city feel, but being progressive and being, you know, just in the sense that it's very modern, but then it has all these old buildings. And I don't know. It's just, it's such a cool place. What's your uh, favorite rush? Like you can give maybe favorite breakfast place and then your favorite restaurant. Oh, I knew this question was going to come up. (laughs) It's so tough. It's so tough. Um, Okay. So breakfast sort of a staple in Richmond and it's near my house. So I have to, I have to give a shout out for Millie's oh, brunch. Yes. Yes. I don't know if you've ever been to Millie's. Yes, I have. And it is the jam. Yeah. Millie's. I mean, although brunch is such a big thing in Richmond, so you really can't go wrong with any of the restaurants. Pretty um, much. So breakfast at Millie's dinner. Um, well, my husband and I just for our anniversary, uh, recently went to Brenner pass, which is a Ooh. new restaurant. Um, and I, it was delicious. So I would say in terms of like new and really good Brenner pass is high on my list now. Ooh, I've never, yeah, I've, I haven't heard of it, but next time I'm in Richmond, I'm going, um, yes. my two favorite places that stick out to me brunch for me would be can can in Carytown oh, yes. and yes. got to get that croque madame, got to get uh-huh. that croque madame. Oh my gosh. With the big, the, like the thick sourdough bread and that egg on and the, oh, all oh, the things. It's so good. <laughs> and then my favorite, just like almost anytime food was always sticky rice. Do you know, I've never been to Sticky Rice, which is kind of appalling if you live in Richmond and you've never been to Sticky Rice. April, go for lunch today. (laughs) And you need to get you a bucket of tots with their spicy tot sauce because it's also so good. And their pot stickers are so good. Oh my gosh. Now I want, now I want to drive two and a half hours just to go to Sticky Rice. <laughs> you can join me for lunch after this is over. I think, I know I could make it by like a late lunch. It could be an afternoon. I can just get in the car right now. It'd be great. Um, okay. So now that we've gushed on Richmond, all the things. <laughs> um, so I want to go back a little bit before you went to college. So mm-hmm. as a child, did you, was fashion something you were always interested in? Was PR something you were always interested in? Like, how did those, um, how did those desires sort of come about and what made you decide to pursue them in college? Sure. So fashion, uh, 100%. Um, I think if you were to ask my family and my friends, uh, I was always dressing up. I was always like, um, you know, these were this. I grew up without really the. <laughs> these were the before the days of the internet. So I would cut out images in magazines. Me too. Uh, you know, and and I would like I had a folder and I would paste them. Like I would glue and paste the images and binders. I had these binders um, full of uh, fashion images, and then I would dress my friends and my family. So there was always this interest in fashion and clothing mm. and. Um, and I, and I just, I loved it. And in terms of public relations, I can't say that when I was a child, I I didn't even know that they, that PR existed. Um, however, I always enjoyed telling a story. I always enjoyed, uh, I'm an extrovert, uh, obviously connecting with people. And when I got to college, um, 
I was like, what, you know, the whole, you're a freshman, what am I going to do? I don't know. How do I even pick a major? And um, I initially started out in pre-med, which looking back now was ridiculous because <laughs> I am not, <laughs> I'm not a scientist. I'm not it. a researcher. Um, so anyway, I started pre-med and quickly realized, yeah, this is not going to work for me. And um, ended up getting into communications and went and talked with who would then become my advisor. And she said, you know, I think you should explore public relations. And I said, yeah, that sounds great. That sounds something that I would be very interested in. So that's how I uh, started out in fashion and then decided to do public relations and then thought, well, I can do public relations within the fashion industry, which yeah. is why I decided um, to work in fashion right out of college. I love it. Uh, one thing you said reminded me of, do, were you the kid that like all of your composition books in elementary school and middle school had like magazine cutouts like taped all over them? Yes. That was me too. <laughs> yes. That was totally me. Like I would get like, you know, like Teen Bop or like, uh, yes. what was it? D uh, Tiger Beat. <laughs> Oh, Tiger Beat, yeah. Like Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Yes, yes. But like all those 90s, like I was really into like I loved R&B, like the R&B music of the 90s, like SWV and, uh, you know, like Aaliyah. Like I loved oh, those artists. So I used to cut out all their pictures and I would tape them all over because I, I wanted my outfits to look like them or like uh, Alicia Silverstone in Clueless. Yes. Like the plaid yes. skirt with the knee high socks and the matching blazer. Like I needed yes. that outfit and I was 10. <laughs> right. Right. Or her closet, like her rotating closet. You know, that's what I thought. Like she had the yes. computer and then she would put together her outfit. I was like, that's the yes. thing for me. Every little girl wanted that closet. Like I don't know <laughs> one. That's why my, my first, well, not my first car. My second car was a Jeep Wrangler because of clueless like oh, i yes. that was the car that i wanted like my whole life was a yes. jeep wrangler there's actually an app now called um an app called cladwell i don't know if you've heard of it um it's they started out doing um capsule collections um like helping you create a capsule wardrobe and then oh, they nice. created this out this app called outfits by cladwell and you so you can what you can do is it's kind of essentially the app 2017 version of Cher's closet so like you put in all of your the items you have in your closet and then every day it kind of like gives you different outfit ideas of what you can put together based on what you have in your closet what yes it's really cool I I actually did a blog post on it when it came out like back in the spring I love that app because I use it all the time because if I'm like oh, I don't know what I want to wear today I'll just like open up the app and it kind of pulls outfits together based on what I have in my closet but it, it honestly when it came out I was like this is this is Cher Horowitz's closet it is it just doesn't I will rotate definitely check that out thanks for sharing <laughs> you're welcome you're welcome um okay so uh so you were really into fashion for a long time you decided to pursue public relations um at what point did you start doing traveling and what was the first um country you visited and what was the purpose of that trip and how did all of that come about yeah sure i um Start, so my family traveled quite a bit when we were younger, uh, not too much internationally, but definitely to 
more remote places, um, even within the U.S. So while a lot of my friends were going to Disney World or to Six Flags, um, my family was like, we're going to go to Alaska, we're going to go hiking, and we're going to go to more of the remote parts of the U.S., which looking back now, I'm very grateful for at the time. I hated it because I'm like, I just want to go to Six Flags and ride a roller coaster. Um, Yeah. But I think those experiences led to, you know, my love of travel and experiencing new cultures and and new places. And so my first international trip was when I was 18, I went to Ecuador and um, it was it was for a mission trip. And um, we worked in an orphanage and had that whole experience of you know, I'd never been to a developing country. I'd never seen uh, poverty at that level. Um, never worked in an orphanage, obviously. And so th- being 18 years old and, and coming from a life of being very sheltered um, and quite frankly, a life of privilege compared to most people that live in the developing world mm-hmm. was such a, an eye-opener for me. And, um, and it had such a profound experience that... I, I I will never forget that first, you know, and I'm sure most people will never forget their first like international experience, especially if you go to a developing country and you do some of that work. Yeah. So I think that sort that, that experience to Ecuador, um, cemented my love of not only traveling, but, um, trying to find a way that I could combine this idea of fashion um, with philanthropy or fashion with empowering artisans or helping people who don't have access to the global market um, or don't have those resources. So I continued to travel throughout college. I did a study study abroad um, the summer of my junior year in Chile, uh, studying Spanish and, um, and, and continued to travel through Latin America and um, then after college, went to Cambodia, and I had a friend who was working for an, uh, an NGO at the time and went to Cambodia with her and did some work, and then we went to Sri Lanka together as well. At what point did you start to learn? Because I know one of the things that you talk a lot about on All Aware, and it's something obviously I talk a lot about because I talk about it on this podcast, and I talk about it on my blog and in my life, and my friends are like, we get it. This is what you love. Um <laughs> Um, at what point did you start? Because I know that you worked in PR in the fashion industry and you started to learn about the the very real and very complex issues that are going on in the fashion industry. At what point did you start to learn about those things? And, and what made you so passionate about combining fashion with social entrepreneurship and promoting ethical fashion? I would say um, several years ago, I, uh, you know, even though working in the fashion industry, um, there was, it's hard to know, I wasn't on like the manufacturing or production side, um, but I was still aware of some of the the processes. And I had a great mentor right out of college when I worked in in that job. And he was able to shed a lot of light on, on things. And I was just very honest about, you know, his work in fashion and what the future would look like for me if I decided to stay in the industry. And um, so he was, he was very insightful as well. And, and I began to realize then, even in speaking with him, that uh, there were some issues in the fashion industry and on the consumer side. And 
Then when I went to on that trip to Cambodia, I um, had an, <laughs> an interesting thing happen. Our luggage got lost, and uh, I had packed all of these clothes because we were do we were going to. Uh, Southeast Asia. So we were going to Hong Kong and then we were doing Bali and then ending up in Cambodia to do some work at the orphanage my friend uh, worked with. And um, I had packed all these outfits for Bali and for Hong Kong. And to make a long story short, our luggage got lost um, and we didn't have luggage for nearly six days. Oh, wow. And so at that time, I... uh, for me, I, I, don't, I don't know why, but it had such a profound ex- uh, impact on my life. And I realized that I could, you know, I, we were living out of our, what we had in our backpacks, which I had a, an extra pair of jeans and I think one shirt in my backpack. And then we decided to go to a few of the local markets when we were in Bali. And I began to talk with some artisans there. And um, I bought just some stuff from local artisans there to get me through until my luggage came. And during that process, I was writing and journaling about the experience and these like strong reactions I was having to, you know, not having my clothes, but, you know, in the midst of people who have very little. Um, So it was a very eye opening experience for me. And then several years ago, I watched the documentary, like most people have, um, uh, if you're interested in ethical fashion, is The True Cost. Yes, yes, I recommend it to everyone. (laughs) Yes, yes, I do too. Um, And I, that was a very eye-opening experience. And I realized then that, okay, something needs to be done and something needs to be said. And just like, 20 years ago, people weren't really talking about where food came from, or if they were, it was very on a micro level. But how can we have these same discussions about clothing consumption that we were that we've were having about food? Yes. Where does our food come from? Now we always talk about organic and is it local and all of those things. Mm -hmm. And and why can't we have these same conversations around uh, where our clothes came from and who made our clothes? And, uh, so that I decided then to focus my research on my thesis on on fashion and social entrepreneurship and these brands that were trying to do both um, that they were there uh, they were trying to do better whether they were empowering artisans whether they're sustainable or they're reducing their carbon footprint you know if it's a capsule wardrobe et cetera et cetera. Yes, so it is so funny that you say that because and I have said this on the show a lot like I could probably go back to uh, of the last you know 70 or however many episodes I could go back and find probably a quarter of them where I talk about this because this is something that I really feel like will start to be a conversation that we have in the next five to ten years I hope it happens sooner but I think it's the I think the conversation around fashion will change the way it happened around food because when I was in high school and college, like even college, so 2007, so 10 years ago, I didn't know what organic or non-GMO was. Like I, <laughs> like I just remember being like, I mean, I, I would hear the term organic and just be like, I don't really know what that means. Like I didn't know what non-GMO was. It wasn't really until the last probably five, six years where I really learned about that and the importance of knowing where your food comes from. And real ingredients and making sure that, you know, I think the only thing I knew about food in college were that like hydrogenated oils were bad for you. Like I didn't know about (laughs) high fructose corn syrup and all that stuff. I mean, you just, 
it just wasn't really talked about. And so now there's all this education because people are starting to see the effects of, of you know, the, the agricultural and the agricultural industry and all that kind of stuff. And so there's all this talk around, you know, making better choices for your food wise. I mean, I mean, five years ago, even probably three years ago, I don't think you really could have gone in Walmart and found very much of an organic section. Now you go into the right. grocery part of Walmart or Target or really any grocery store and there's all these organic options now and non-GMO because what happened? Consumers spoke up and they said, we want more organic and non-GMO options. We want to know where our food comes from. We want to know that it was grown sustainably. We want to know that it was, you know, that the the chickens were free range. We want to know that the cows were grass fed. Like, we want to know those things. And then you have, you know, restaurants like Chipotle standing up and saying, we're going to not use GMOs in our food. And, you know, sure, our food might cost a little bit more, but you're going to know that the ingredients are real and, and there's no additives or anything like that. And this is a very important conversation that has really gotten big in the last few years. And I truly feel like this is going to happen with the fashion industry, too. And I don't, you know, I, when the Rana Plaza complex disaster happened in 2000, mm-hmm. was it 13 or 14? I can't remember right now. 13. 13. Yeah, yes, 2013. 2013. When that happened, I thought that that would be it. And it started, but it's not, and it's certainly getting better. But- right. You know, here in the last couple months, um, so this episode airs in January, um, in the last couple months, the big news story in the fashion industry was the whole issue with um, Zara, which Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you've seen. Yes. So for those that are listening that you haven't heard this story, so Zara, the very large international fashion brand, um, they, a bunch of their stores in Europe, their garment workers wrote notes and put notes inside of the tags of Zara clothing saying like you're paying um you know 30 pounds or whatever it is for this sweater Mm -hmm. I wasn't paid anything and so all of a sudden it's brought to light that the garment workers that are making Zara's clothes aren't being paid anything and you know all of a sudden there's I've seen you know all over Facebook people are like what this like garment workers aren't being paid I'm like y'all (laughs) <laughs> have y'all not been listening to anything I say? Because I just think it's funny because a lot of the like people that I'm friends with, I'm like, come on, y'all. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, like I almost wonder, is it going to be more things like that that are going to get people asking the questions? And anyway, I just kind of went on a little like soapbox moment there. But I just I completely agree with what you're saying about I really feel like this is something that we are going to see in the next five to 10 years of people asking the same questions about the products that they're buying, you know, in the same way that they ask those questions about their food, you know? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I mean, the conversations are already, they're starting to happen, Um, obviously not to the same degree as food, but I do think the more that um, these type of articles like with Zara come out um, and issues and, you know, heaven forbid anything happen like Mana Plaza again, mm-hmm. you know, it just brings it to the forefront of people's minds. Um, and I actually, it's funny that you mentioned the Zara story. I posted that article to my face, my personal Facebook page and just said, you know, 
FYI, like this is one of many reasons why I've stopped buying fast fashion. And like, you know, the more that you know, and there are a couple of people commented and they said, oh my gosh, I had no idea that this was a thing or, you know, so I think it's about, and that's what All Aware, that's what the name came out, the, the name came about was raising awareness and how can we have more of these conversations? Because you're absolutely right. Once consumers start demanding it, that's when businesses will be forced to change um, their, their, you know, their, to improve their transparency, to improve the supply chain, manufacturing, um, those sorts of things. Yeah. Have you found that as you've made the switch and you start having those conversations with people and you've been sharing this on your platform all aware, what has been the overall response from, you know, everybody from those closest to you to um, your audience, your readers? What has been the response and, and what do you see has been both a success and what what has maybe been a challenge? I think overall the response has been really positive. Um, the people that, you know, friends and family, obviously they're biased um, and they they know that this is something that I've been preaching about and talking about for years. Mm-hmm. So it's no surprise to them that, that I've taken this route and that I've created this platform. I think for people who are new to All Aware, um, there's been a really good response. Of I, I do these Fair Fact Fridays where I share something about the fashion industry, um, good or bad, or, or now I'm in this thing where I'm talking about the fair trade principles and just creating education and awareness. And that seems to get a, a really good response from people of just giving them bite-sized facts every Friday that they yeah. can digest. And it's not all, it's not a ton of information all at once. Um, and I think one thing I'm learning is that how do you take something that can be really uh, complex when you're talking about supply chain ethics, when you're talking about where things are sourced and the sustainability of things and carbon footprint. How can you take very complex information and make it relatable and make it digestible for people to incorporate into their daily life? And so that's what I'm. That's the challenge right now is giving these snippets and this, these tidbits of information that the average consumer and the average reader can say, you know what, I can, I can do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I see it as in turn in like with the food industry, you know, small changes will create a bigger change over time. Absolutely. And so as long as people are willing to, to learn more and to make small incremental changes in their life, then I think we'll see a huge turn um, in terms of, you know, the fashion industry. Absolutely. I could not agree more. Um, what is your goal over the next, you know, whether it be short term, you know, three to six months, next couple of years? What is your goal with All Aware and what is your goal professionally in general? Is it just to continue to, br- you know, bring awareness to this issue or is it do you have sort of a, a larger vision in mind? I do. This is this is the million dollar question, Molly. Um, I think for a lot of people who start out, start something new, and you're like, "What's the end goal here? What's right? No, what's right. the vision? What's your you know thirty, sixty, ninety day plan? Um, you know, for the short term, right now, uh, what I realized, backing up just a little bit, when I was doing my research uh, for my thesis, was I realized um, in just in interviewing people that a lot of people were not aware of the issues and the problems. So 
Um, that's why I created the platform All Aware because I thought, you know, firstly, if people don't know there's a problem, then we need to raise awareness and let people yeah. know that actually there's a problem. Yeah. And and educate and awareness. So that's why the plat that's why I created the platform and that's what I think I'll be doing for the next six months to a year and see where see where it takes me, see where it leads. Um, I would absolutely love someday to create my own line of clothing. Yes. Um or accessories, uh, but that is that requires a lot of investment. Yeah. Um, but I'm ha- I'm having preliminary conversations with people, and um, there are a lot of incubators that are out there that are focused on um, supporting entrepreneurs that want to create a sustainable and ethical fashion line. Yeah. So it's not out of the realm of possibility, but honestly, um, I'm just taking it day by day at this point. Um, but you know, it's. It feels so nice, um, and I'm sure you can relate to this, when, you know, you finally feel, and I've done some great work. I loved working in fashion. I loved working in the nonprofit sector. Um, But being able to combine those two and really do what I'm passionate about is such an amazing opportunity. So I'm going to try and do it as long as I can. (laughs) Um, um, So we'll see what happens. I think that's awesome. Um, I actually had on the show back like right when it first started I mean I so over a year ago I had Shannon Whitehead of Factory 45 on the show she does um they're an online accelerator program for sustainable apparel companies um and then and her husband actually owns uh Project Repat which is the um they work out of um, it's so funny like how all these things are connected because so Project Repat, one of the factories that they use is a factory here in North Carolina called Opportunity Threads. Um, and I had them on the show. And But Project Repat, they are the company that does the t-shirt quilts. Right. Okay. Yeah. And so it's just so cool kind of how all those things are connected. But um, And then I also had uh, just a couple of months ago, Jen Lewis of Person Clutch. Person Clutch actually has a... Um, like an apprenticeship program for people who are interested in, um, you know, starting an ethical fashion or ethical accessory line company. Um, And so it's just really cool to see that there are so many companies and brands out there that are trying to make it easier for entrepreneurs who are passionate about social entrepreneurship to be able to go in and get the resources and be able to kind of, you know, jump over the hurdles a little faster than, mm-hmm. than maybe they they might otherwise if they don't have help. And, and I think that's something that's so unique and so fun about the ethical and fair trade fashion world is that as many business owners as I've met and people in this space everybody's just so encouraging and supportive because we're all on the same team. Like we all want to see the same things happen. And so it's just such a positive and encouraging community. And that's just something that I really want to convey to people is because I feel like for such a long time, when you hear, when when a Joe or Jane consumer (laughs) hears the term, fair trade or ethical fashion or sustainable fashion or um, conscious fashion like it's almost like there's this tinge of a negative negativity to it to a regular consumer because they feel like well I can't afford that or Mm -hmm. uh, that's out of reach for me or those people that care about that are just stuck up in a bunch of tree huggers you know what I mean right and right and that's just 
that's just not true. <laughs> so I mean, maybe, I'm sure maybe there are people that are because obviously the stereotype probably exists for a reason. But I mean, I think it really is so important to know that this is a supportive and an encouraging industry and it it doesn't have to be out of reach. You know what I mean? No, no, it doesn't. And there's, you know, that's too a piece of all aware is I wanted to inspire people to shop better. Because mm-hmm. um, I think for a long time when you and I, even for me, five years ago, if you said something was fair trade or sustainable, I had a very specific image of what I thought yep. that clothing was going to look like. Yep. And macrame now that vests. is absolutely not the case. <laughs> yeah. Like macrame <gasps> vests running in a field of sunflowers. Some people are like, yeah. like wearing flower <laughs> crowns. Like that's what I think people, that's what I think people envision it looks like. I'm like, no, it doesn't have to, I promise. No, not at all. Or people hear the word fair trade and they think coffee and chocolate. Right. Right, right. So, exactly. I mean, I remember the first time I heard fair trade when in regards to fashion, I was like, what? Huh? I thought that's just like with coffee and chocolate and, and like tea. Chocolate. <laughs> I mean, I do love me some fair trade chocolate and coffee and tea. Oh, well, actually not coffee because I don't drink coffee. So let's be honest. But um, <laughs> Or tea. Yeah. Yeah. Or tea. I like tea. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it. I think it's something that just it becomes an entire lifestyle for people. But, you know, making it accessible and making it so that people can realize that um, it doesn't have to you don't have to change overnight. You don't have to make wild, radical decisions overnight. You know, making positive decisions little by little, changing your purchasing habits little by little really does add up over time. And the more that people start to educate themselves on the industry and and the brands that they're supporting and the companies that they're buying from and asking the questions to companies, you know, of how are my clothes made? Um, You know, the more that you start to ask those questions, I think the more that companies are going to stand up and say, okay, well, we're going to have to make a change. Right. Right. I I agree 100%. And, you know, I had someone the other day told me that they said, you know, I've since reading your your website and your blog, I've stopped. um, The only thing I'll buy at H&M now is from their conscious line. And and even that I think is, is, it's, you know, it's a small game. But the fact that they made one significant change and saying, well, I'm going to shop at H&M, but I'm only going to shop at their conscious line. It's things like that. I mean, I'm not asking people and I don't think anyone in ethical fashion would say, yeah, go throw out all your clothes and start over. I mean, the most sustainable thing we could do is to wear what we have and use what we have. Um, But realizing that we're all at different places along this journey and the spectrum and just making small changes can really make an impact over time. Absolutely. Um, All right. So, April, I have had so much fun talking with you, but now it is time to move into the lightning round. And this is the part of the show where we just have a little fun. We just ask some fun questions. And this is also the moment where I allow my husband to, who my husband who edits these shows, to insert a fun sound effect of his choosing here to prepare us for the lightning round. So, April, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. You're not stupid, Karen. No, I am actually. I'm failing almost everything. Well, there must be something you're good at. I can put my whole fist in my mouth. Want to see? No. That's okay. 
All right. So the first question is, and I thought this would just be fun to ask because you're in the same similar space that I am. So what are your favorite ethical fashion brands? And I know this is a hard question because it's a hard question for me to answer, but I always like to know what are, what are some of your favorites? Uh, I know, you know, I had a feeling you were going to ask me this. So I thought about this ahead of time. Oh, good. Um, I like it. A few, <laughs> a few of my favorites right now are um, Gaia. G-A-I-A. Oh, yes. Do you know Gaia? Yes. Gaia for women. women. Love her stuff. Actually talked with her when I was doing my research. Paula, who's the owner, she's very passionate about the work that she does. I love that they employ refugees in Dallas. So um, for accessories, hands down, Gaia. Um, really am liking a more vert oh, out of California. Yes, yes. Their stuff. I always say people like who people who like J. Crew. Like check yes. out a more vert, like very similar type of style. Very similar, and I um, it's great for people who need professional workwear. Yes, um, that can be tough to find. So I think a more vert fits that niche of needing uh, of yeah J Crew or workwear things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do enjoy People Tree as well out mm-hmm. of the UK mm-hmm. for clothing. Um, I've ordered some of their stuff and really like what they stand for in their model. And um, actually, I like the folks in Nashville. Um, they were fashionable. Now they're just, they've changed their name to Able. Yes. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I love fashionable or Able. Yes. Yeah. Now Able. I got I to gotta change, <laughs> switch that. Um, and then there's just so many. There's, uh, I like Seiko oh, uh, yes. as well. But those, I would say those are just like the top of my head right now that I'm loving. I love it. Those are great, great choices. There is this uh, striped, it's like a striped tunic dress that has been on a more various like new arrivals for a little while. And I've like had my eye on it forever. I'm like, yeah, I'm probably going to need to get that soon because it's just, oh, it's so nice. Um, I love it. Okay. Number two, what is a movie you can watch over and over again and never get bored of? Probably uh, Moulin Rouge. Oh, good choice. Yes, I have. And I've seen that movie. I can't even tell you how many times. Um, Boz Lerman, the director, he's just so creative. And it's just, um, someone told me one time, it's a perfect movie with people that have ADD, which I don't have ADD, (laughs) but it's so engaging and entertaining. Um, It's constantly moving. And the cinematography is just beautiful. It really is. Yes, Moulin Rouge. Great, great uh, selection. I love it. Um, if you were sent into space with only three items, what would those three items be? Oh, my. I know. Uh, sh- oh, goodness. I would say my phone because it does everything and it would still keep me connected in some ways. Yeah. Um, can I bring a person? Can I bring my sure. husband? Yeah, okay? you can totally bring your husband. Okay, I'll bring my husband. Like and it. then I would probably bring... Um, Coffee. Coffee. I, I drink coffee. A lot of coffee. So I love it. I think I could get by with those three things. I love it. Okay. So then then uh, now we get into our either or questions. And I know, already know now the answer to the first one. And I was going to say coffee or tea. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've i been getting more into tea lately. Um, I mean, I'm a coffee drinker in the mornings, but then I do switch to tea in the afternoons or evenings. Yeah. I see I'm not a coffee drinker, but I do like 
some hot tea and my so Kenya is like Kenya's my second home and like Kenyan chai tea oh oh man and so basically what they do is they do black tea in hot water and then they do a little bit of milk and then they do sugar and it's yes it's like full of sugar but whatever it's it's Kenya and it's just it's so delicious um I never obviously have it here in the United States because it's never the same but it's, it's so good it's so good. Okay. Cake or pie? Oh, you know, I have to, I would have to say neither. That's oh. one of those things that I do not have to have. Are you like, a, um, do you like dessert at all? Like, are you like more cookies? <laughs> I'm more, I'm ice cream. Ice cream. For okay. Sure. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Um, books yeah. or movies? Books. Books. Pepsi well, or, ooh, mm, ooh. Yeah, probably books. 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 Do you have a favorite book that you're reading right now or anything that you've read recently that you're loving? I just started on the book called Essentialism. Mm. Uh, I forget the author's name, but basically getting rid of all these things and like busyness and really focusing on the essentials. So I'm just diving into it. I've heard good things. Um, So yeah, I'll have to keep you posted. Yeah, please do. Um, All right. Pepsi or Coke? I don't drink either, but I would I would say Coke if I had to pick one. Okay. Uh, early bird or night owl? I'm an early bird for sure. Tacos or burritos? Oh, gosh. See, Mexican food's my favorite. Me so, too. Me too. Uh, ta- I will go with tacos. Tacos. Good choice. Um, introvert yeah. or extrovert? Extrovert all the way. <laughs> I love it. Call or text? Oh, please do not call me that. Even though I'm an extrovert, please don't call me. I'm a text. I'm a texter. Me too. Me too. <laughs> oh man. And like, it's so hard for me because there are people in my life that I love so much that I know that they hate to text and they are callers. And I'm just like, y'all, please just text me. Like, I don't... Just text me. Yeah. It's... Unless it's super important. Just text me. It's so hard to like, with, especially with young kids, like, because I feel like every time I get on the phone my kids immediately need my attention and I'm just like oh my goodness so you know it is what it is (laughs) um all right PC or Mac Mac all right hands down and then the last and probably most important question I'm just kidding uh crushed ice or cubed ice crush yes Yes. preach that'll preach love me some crushed ice me too that'll preach (laughs) so my family and I um back in October we went on a Disney cruise um with our kids and I'm not gonna lie we love Disney cruises they're so much fun um but the you know one of the things is like on the top like on the main pool deck they have all these fountains with you know tea and sodas and water and all you know unlimited drinks basically um you know, not like non-alcoholic drink. So any kind of non-alcoholic drink you can, you want, you can get any time of day, but they have the best, like that, like nugget ice, like nugget crushed ice. And it is the jam. And I, oh man, I miss, I miss the unlimited nugget (laughs) ice. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah. Of course, Disney's got the best ice. That seems, that seems perfect. Of course they do because they're Disney and they, they they're just, yeah, they, they, are awesome at everything um okay april this has been so much fun to have you on the show um i for those uh for the listeners i will have all of april's links of how to get in touch with her um in the show notes but for those that are maybe listening in the car and they want to check out your website and instagram and all that on the way home how can they best get in contact with you 
Yeah, um, the website is all aware and aware spelled A-W-E-A-R instead of um, the regular spelling of aware. So allaware.com. Um, and you can find me at all of those handles on Facebook and on Instagram. You can direct message me, you can message me on Facebook. So I'm pretty active on all platforms, um, except for Twitter. I haven't gotten into Twitter. Um, but yeah, feel free to contact me on any of those platforms. Or you can email me at april at allaware.com. Awesome. Well, April, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yes, I've enjoyed it so much. Thank you, Molly. My conversation with April was one of those where I just felt like I was sitting across the table with an old friend that I have known for years. She's so incredible, and I really love her fire for the ethical fashion industry and just doing good in the world. Be sure to give April some love on social media this week. I will have all her links and information in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you're a first-time listener of the show, welcome, welcome, welcome. Be sure to visit the archives for past shows featuring amazing entrepreneurs and business owners who are literally changing the world with their businesses. And if you're a regular listener of the show, thank you for tuning in week in and week out. Your support means the world to me. Be sure to head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Radio Public, or whichever app you love listening to podcasts on, and make sure that you are subscribed to the show. Clicking that subscribe button makes sure that you never miss a new episode of the podcast. And while you're there, would you take just a moment to leave a review of the show? Leaving a review of the show helps me to know what you're liking and how the show is personally impacting you. And if you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag Business with Purpose Podcast, or you can tag me at Still Being Molly on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. This show is edited by my amazing husband and executive producer, John Stillman, and the music is by Mark Killian of Third Wheel Media. Thank you so much for listening. Now go do something good with purpose on purpose. Purpose.